Welcome to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio, bringing you insights and strategies to help you create a magnificent and fulfilling second half of life. Here's your host, certified professional retirement coach and best-selling author, Dr. Dorian Mincer. I want to welcome everybody to my Revolutionize Your Retirement interview with Expert Series. I'm Dori Mincer, your host and facilitator and owner of Revolutionize Retirement. So now, without further ado, I want to introduce my special guest today. And I just wanted to comment that I've, I had heard about Carolyn and was introduced to her by a couple of colleagues, and both Susan Larson and Candy Spitz. And we had a delightful talk last week, and I know you're all in for a treat today. So let me tell you a little about Carolyn, and then we're going to be focusing on our topic today, which is retirement and reinvention, loss, grief, and transformation. Carolyn Ambler Walter, Ph.D., LCSW, is a counselor, author, and professor emerita with 40 years of professional experience serving clients and organizations. Her extensive expertise in grief and loss and life transitions includes work with hospital, hospice, and community groups. As a guest speaker and renowned authority in the field, she's spoken at numerous regional, national, and international conferences on grief, chronic illness, and women's health issues. She also conducts workshops for healthcare staff, counselors, and other helping professionals. In addition to professional journal articles, she's authored or co-authored several books, and they include Grief and Loss Across the Lifespan, a biopsychosocial perspective, and Loss of a Partner, Narratives of the Bereaved. She also co-authored Breast Cancer in the Life Course, Women's Experiences. A visiting scholar at Stanford University Center for Research and Disease Prevention, she created and led two series for fibromyalgia patients, and locally she's led numerous groups for fibromyalgia patients and families. She has more than 25 years of experience in higher education, including 23 years at Widener University, where she co-founded the Center for Social Work Education. She's taught at the graduate level at both Bryn Mawr College and the University of Maryland, and she currently offers teachers coaching workshops to support educators and administrators in building stronger educational programs. She earned her Master's of Social Sciences and her Ph.D. from the Bryn Mawr College Graduate School of Social Work and Social Research and her Bachelor of Science degree in Psychology from Juanata College. Sorry about Juniata <laughs> College. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Walter sits on the program committee of Peter's Place, a nonprofit center for grieving children, teens, and families in Randor, Pennsylvania. And she's member of the steering committee and peer group committee for the Philadelphia-based nonprofit, the Transition Network, which helps women over 50 discover new beginnings. So, Carolyn, I'm just delighted to have you be part of the call and so enjoyed our talk last week and I know I'm just looking forward to today. So how about starting out by you telling us a little of what got you interested in this field of grief, loss, and meaning making in life? Okay, so I actually started my teaching experience around women's issues and then I was at Widener and had a tragic loss of my husband who was sick for many years but died at the age of 48. And I really couldn't write anything after that. I was 
really in a state where I just couldn't do anything. And I was still working. And I had written a lot before. And my boss at work said, why don't you try to design a course around grief? And I felt like that would be easier than writing for some reason. So I designed and taught grief and loss across the lifespan. And fortunately, there were many students interested in that topic who were were probably not only in hospice, but in hospitals and all kinds of different agencies because loss is everywhere, as we all know. And I really enjoyed teaching that elective and continued to do that even after I retired. I taught the course for five years, and it's still going on, which is really one of my contributions. And the way I made meaning out of some of my loss was to both construct this course, teach the course, many wonderful students in that class, the classes I had, and then to do some writing. And the first book was The Loss of a Life Partner. And I was really interested in interviewing partners who were gay, lesbian, domestic, and widowed and widowers. There wasn't much literature for other than widows and widowers at the time. The publisher had someone who worked with me, and he just felt that was such an important missing piece in the literature. So That led me to do that, and then I guess I was at a presentation somewhere, and Springer was there and heard Judy McCoy, my co-author, and I speak about a topic and asked us if we would be willing to write a book about it, and we said, no, we don't want to write that book. We want to write Grief and Lost Across the Lifespan because we were both teaching at different universities and there weren't any courses, there weren't any textbooks that were helpful to us, so we thought, why not do it ourselves? So that was our journey with that textbook, which actually had its second revision in 2016, which we were shocked about, to tell you the truth. But it does tell you that grief and loss is here, and very, how can I say this, many universities across the country now offer courses in it. And I would say 10 years ago that wasn't true. So I'm very happy that has occurred. Does that kind of answer your question, Dory? No, I think that's great. And you mentioned about the literature, so maybe that just leads us to this next question that I have for you, which is how does the literature on grief and loss and transformation help as we understand some of the issues that people who are retiring or working in the reinvention process face? Because it does seem like it's a movement from loss of a love or life partner or parent or child to loss as part of a transition process. So I just was, if you could tell us a little about that literature. And I truly enjoyed our discussion last week, Dory, about it. It helped me rethink a lot about how the grief literature does inform the retirement and reinvention process. And I just want to say in the beginning that, to me, loss is really the heart of life and growth. But the grief following that loss, as we know, is painful, messy, and frightening. And I think that's one of the reasons people don't, they try to avoid it. During a transition, adults often focus on the positive aspects of their transition into retirement and thinking about how wonderful that'll be in so many ways. They'll be freed up. And I think, and I'm included in this, even though I deal with loss a lot, we forget to think about all, we forget and we avoid the pain of letting go of a job or a career that we've enjoyed. And as I said before, we tend to think about all the free time we'll have. It's often easier to move quickly into a new life. And the grief literature helps to inform us about attachment and loss, a la John Bowlby, who many of you have studied about and read about, who speaks of the yearning and the searching 
involved with the loss of a loved one, wishing that person was still here with them. And from my own personal experience and talking with other folks who retired, they also experienced this same yearning and searching for what they had before. Maybe they don't yearn and search for all of it because none of us have jobs that we love all of it. But there's this fit and start of forming a different lifestyle with this yearning and searching. The yearning and searching is typical of other losses and marks the phase of this and marks the work of this phase of retirement and reinvention. We know that the loss of routines and the sense of time structure that comes with full-time work can lead us to feel disoriented. And some are more comfortable with less structure, while others feel adrift. They don't know how to spend their time. And I think during any transition, you have to be able to tolerate the discomfort and the anxiety so that you often jump into something very quickly to avoid that anxiety. So that's one of the things that I think grief and loss literature brings to us. The other one that we talked about last week, which I love, is continuing bonds. It's a new concept about loss from the postmodern thinkers, and it embraces the idea that the loss of a life or a job does not mean the loss of a relationship with that person, job, or career. When adults suffer a loss, the resolution of grief may involve maintaining bonds or transforming bonds with the deceased rather than breaking all ties, as was emphasized in the earlier literature. I was raised on thinking that you needed to separate completely before you could move on. And what I learned in my own transition when my first husband died was that's not the way it worked for me. I was grieving while I was building a new life. So it really made more sense to me when I went to a conference and heard Klaus Silverman and Nickman present this idea of continuing bonds because at that point in 1999, no one had written about it. It was brand new. And it really resonated with me and really had a part in my creating the loss of a life partner because I wanted to bring in that new literature. So I think that, and researchers do believe, that these continuing bonds are really a healthy part of our ongoing life as they enhance and promote our healing. And maintaining bonds is more one of memory, of course, rather than having an ongoing relationship, such as when a widow or widower talks with their lost spouse, she's keeping the memory or he's keeping the memory of their loved one alive, which can all, can provide a lot of comfort. In fact, John Bowlby in a very old study about widows found that the widows who did talk to their husbands for almost a year, and even though people thought they were a little kooky, they were the ones that were doing better at the end of that year. So that was some of the early literature that gave us a hint about the importance of these bonds. Displaying or sharing photos of the deceased are another way of maintaining a connection. I worked with a young woman who had lost her fiancé, and we brought in the picture of him, and she was able to talk more about him with this picture right there. So it was helpful to her in her moving forward in her life. Um, and I think a retiree, since we want to apply this to those of you who are interested in that, may continue to maintain a bond with their previous job or career by maintaining connections with their colleagues instead of breaking all those connections. Which connections are important to you? And I think that can be a real bridge to forming a new life. And I think another way may be to begin retirement with a phasing out as a professor like I did who can, continues to keep teaching one course for that university following full retirement, 
others make a full break with it. But I've seen people who do that, and they make a complete break, and then three years later, they're really depressed. They haven't been able to really work on the feelings they had about leaving. I think other ways are to become a consultant to an organization. I'm sure many of you can come up with lots of examples of what you've seen. And I do think, again, that this allows for time to understand and grieve the loss by maintaining contact. That understanding about the loss is so critical. And the other model that we talked about, Dory, was the dual process model, which involves oscillation. And you were quite curious about this term and how it might be helpful. So I've been thinking about that. The literature tells us that we move between and we oscillate between loss and restoration. In other words, sometimes you experience this immersion in the grief and maybe immersion in having left a job and you don't know what to do. And other times we're preoccupied about building a new life. So one focus allows you time to process your loss and experience that sadness and sit with it, while the other frees you to move into new roles and activities, allowing for distraction from the sadness. For the retiree, this would mean moving toward reinvention, toward creating or designing a life that really brings you satisfaction and meaning. But the important point here is the ability to allow oneself to move back and forth or to oscillate between the two different experiences and to know that this is normal in big letters and it's a part of loss and transformation. Lots of people feel a little bit crazed by it. Why am I in, within an hour, I'm grieving, and then the next hour I might be thinking about how I'm going to plan my day tomorrow. How can I possibly do that if I just, after I just lost someone? It's a very normal process. And I feel like these researchers have really brought something very important to our understanding. And for myself, I think I had worked somewhere for 25 years, and I was constantly looking for new experiences. I was busy all the time, and I don't think I allowed the quiet time I needed to experience mm -hmm. the sadness. They had given me a big picture when I left of the university. Everyone had signed it. I couldn't even put up on my wall. I didn't want to think about it. There's a tape that they made of my retirement party. I haven't still been able to, to listen to it, even though I think back on it. So there you go. I'm right in there with that issue. The other final issue, which can lead us maybe into some of the other losses that we talk about, I'm just going to take a drink of water. Thank you. Is meaning making. And some of the more recent research on grief and loss has really focused on meaning making as a very critical experience in moving forward with our lives. A lot of the research came out of working with parents who had lost young children and helping them to move out of their grief a little bit and on to some meaning-making. And the ones that could do that really seemed to be functioning better. It didn't happen right away. Meaning-making doesn't happen right away because you're too much engrossed in the grief or loss. It takes a few years, but research tells us that if meaning-making doesn't occur, we can really get stuck in our anger and our depression. So what is this meaning-making? I tried to think about that before the call today. It really involves making sense of the loss of a job or career. Even though you may have chosen to retire or leave a position that you enjoyed, you still need to make sense of that. And I was in that position because I chose to retire. I was not forced out at that point, although I was ready 
to leave that particular university and all the faculty meetings, which some of you who are professors and teachers understand. Part of the work of this phase is to try to understand the nature of your loss in particular and of loss in general. It involves a, re a reevaluation of your priorities, which many of you may have done, as well as trying to discover who you are now, that you cannot define yourself by your job or career. Meaning-making involves an attempt to understand the way in which this loss has changed your sense of self. Questions such as, who am I now that I am not working every day? Who might I become? How has the loss of my job or career changed my life? How can I envision a new life that will be satisfying and meaningful to me? So finding meaning or benefit in the loss of a job leads us toward meaning-making. And one of the ways you can make meaning from an experience is to write about it so that you can benefit yourself by restoring the experience and to help others who may be struggling with a similar type of loss. I did this myself, and I'm sure many of you probably know Sheryl Sandberg, the author of Lean In and of Facebook. She's recently been writing and posting and speaking about her experience of losing her husband almost at the same age that I lost mine. But she didn't do it right away. I noted from one of the announcers about what she was speaking about, and he said she had lost her husband two years prior. And listening to her, one of the things I heard her say was that you can't, you have to believe that you're going to feel better. You are not always going to be stuck in this morass of grief and sadness. You will get out of this, and the important thing is to have hope. And out of that, she felt grateful. She said that's the lesson she learned, and I can honestly say I did too. And I think many of us have been through that, and you come out feeling grateful for every day, grateful for what happens during that day, and just being happy that you are alive and people in your life that you love, are you surround yourself with them. I just want to stress that because writing, even the grief researchers have found, and they have research on it, that writing is one of the most helpful ways that we can help ourselves move forward. So to me, transformation and reinvention are very similar. As you are examining changes in yourself since you've retired, and you're redefining yourself and your identity. The transformation of your identity following retirement involves finding a new purpose and activity that feels meaningful. It is to find a way of mattering, in the words of Nancy Schlossberg. It's actualizing our life, and if we think about where most of us are in midlife, I'm moving into the next phase, but generativity is such a part of it. How can I make meaning that will help others to help myself and help others? So I think that kind of wraps up the concepts mm -hmm. that I wanted to share. Dory, I don't know if that went too fast or people have questions. Oh, no, there's but... so many of them, so let's take, deconstruct them, as they say, a little okay. bit. And, okay. And to talk more about them. I just I just think it's it it is such a helpful frame to think about loss and grief in relation to retirement and reinvention. I think your points are just excellent. The oscillation part I really like too of just normalizing how we can 
grieve and need to make time for that process of grieving, but also begin to picture another life and not feel so guilty about it. I really do like that. I know we talked about it last week, but I really like that concept. And the positive psychology studies do say that well-being is connection, engagement, and purpose and meaning. And I found it interesting you had said that at one point, after your husband had died, you just did things and you were busy and didn't give yourself time, some of that quiet time. And it's part of my realizing and thinking about the difference between just being busy and being really engaged in something and how important that is. So I just wanted to underscore that that part of it. Because I do think that this literature is so important and helpful for this reinvention with retirement and other reinvention. I was just thinking about, I just had a client this morning who is in her late 70s and she's been retired for a while and for volunteer work and things that give purpose and meaning. And she just recently decided to give up her car because she doesn't use it that much and the lease had ended and she's just been going through this grieving we were talking about it this morning of even though she can use uber and she can rent cars when she wants not having it is much harder of a loss and a change and so we were really working on reframing it and and just thinking about it in a different way and so it just crosses so many aspects of life in terms of retire in terms of loss of a loved one but also retirement and the other losses that come as we move through these next stages of life so I just wanted to underscore that part too and Dory, I forgot to mention that when you go through one loss, it really does bring back other losses. Mm-hmm. And when you were describing your client with the loss of not being able to drive, it probably brought back the loss that she had that was primary. Yeah. And not that you don't spend a lot of time on that, but that's what happens. There are all, all the losses are back there. I do think Freud was right. They have them in our unconscious and they pop up when we have. And I've been even shocked at myself about how that happened. Just wanted to add that. Cause I thought no, that's a great point. And I often say to people when something's really intense in the present, parts the present and parts what it triggers from before. And I think you're absolutely right that life is a series of transitions, which means endings and losses and the unknowns and moving on. And I think each one re-triggers other things. And it may be helpful for listeners to think about how you've been responding if for some of you thinking about retirement or those in it, that it may very well be helpful to think about what is triggering in you if you're finding yourself having a really hard time with it. That's lovely. That's so helpful to people. Doreen, it really is. Yeah. So let me integrate. So some of the questions that are coming up, and I, again, I want to encourage people to submit your questions. Just say who you are and where you're from. And again, the best question will get a copy of Carolyn's book. So some relate to the retirement phase and some loss and grief in general. So I'm going to just honor the questions and ask you and see if, you know how you want to respond. Judith from Colorado says, what are some of the signs that grief symptoms are moving into a more serious mental health concern? Social isolation is a serious problem for some seniors. Could you speak about this in some ways to intervene? Okay, Judy's asking, how do you know when this moves into something that's not healthy. And I think the literature talks about just when people can't do anything. You know that something's wrong when they can't function. They can't do what they need to do 
to get up each day. That's the severe form of it, but people could still be going out, but not being what I would call functioning in their life. And it, the literature just talks about that as probably more, I'm trying to think of the word, complicated grief. There's been some work done on that. And I think the thing that I remember about intervention, I saw a webinar on this, and it's really helpful for people, believe it or not, to go back and restory that original loss, to really be listened to about the details and what happened. That is where the heart is. And if you can get a client or help a friend, it's really being able to listen to what happened, the details, because that's what most people really want to talk about. And I have an example I want to share. My husband and I just visited a very dear friend of ours, 30-year 30 30-year friend in Paris, a wonderful man, and we had hoped to see his wife before we went over, but his wife died in November, and he met us in this restaurant. The first thing he wanted to do was to share all the details about Latifah's death, which really opened us up to talking about her. And I think it was so helpful. So that was such a, an example for me of what people need to do. And he maybe hadn't done it in the same way because we had not seen him for a while. We are his family in the U.S. He told us that. And I think he just wanted to have someone listen to every detail. And it was so helpful to my husband and I because we loved Latifah and we could grieve too as he was speaking. So I don't know if that's helpful, Judy, but that's where I am with it. I just wanted to elaborate a little and ask you to perhaps elaborate too, because I think it's with retirement, it's so interesting that I'm just thinking of situations where sometimes people feel that other people in their life don't want to hear about how hard it's been or what the struggles are. And we may be more open. I'm just saying this without totally thinking it through. But I wonder if there's a more openness when there's a, a loss of a loved one to allow people to really process and talk about what the losses are. And I wonder if you can speak to this, Carolyn. Is it more difficult because people think when you're retiring, just get over it. What do you mean? You made this choice. It should be fine. And People don't feel necessarily listened to or they feel there's something wrong with them if, in fact, it's dealing as hard as it is. I think that's an excellent point. And I think that when you're going through any transition in life, and Judy and I write about this in our text, that isn't a death. It's often disenfranchised. And by that word, we mean, you know, that the loss isn't honored in the same way that a death might be honored. I don't know if that helps, but another concept of this postmodern perspective is disenfranchised grief, grief that is not normalized and honored in some ways. And you're right. I think retirement may be one of those for many people that doesn't, people don't want to hear about how sad they may feel about it, and maybe the person themselves isn't in touch with that. So I guess my point is that you need to get in touch with that sadness and help them do that. Because there really is that dark side of retirement that there's some studies of when people 
get too isolated or don't have a reason to get out in bed in the morning, haven't figured out the meaning-making part or who am I without the work identity. And there's increases in depression, increases in drug and alcohol abuse, and it, it can happen and people can spiral into that, but it doesn't have to happen. And I think your framework is so helpful because it does normalize that it's okay to, to have these feelings and maybe feel adrift and you need to give yourself some space to do that as you're also trying to think about what might what things will give you a sense of purpose and meaning and connection and engagement and you've beautifully talked about that oscillation it's that ability to let yourself feel the darker side while the next day you may be going somewhere to build part of your new life. And I think that's what's so confusing to adults. And adults are more confused by this than children. Children, after they Mm -hmm. have a loss, are able to do that naturally. And that's how the researchers began to look at it and realize that for many adults, this doesn't happen. They don't Mm -hmm. see it as normal. So that is a mission, particularly that I have helping people feel that, and you've beautifully described it. I think you've beautifully been describing this. <laughs> and, <laughs> so we well. have a mutual admiration society here. But I do think it's important, and I was thinking also about the maintaining bonds that you were talking about, and that's not always so easy because what some people right. say to me is that once I'm not there, it's out of sight, out of mind, and people don't want to connect with me. I'm the has-been, and, and I, that can happen at times, but I think you point it out. One can, in a sense, I'm interpreting it, but the sense I got from what you said is one can be selective in deciding who it is you might want to try to keep a bond with or maintain contact with. And it may be a real contact or it may be even just allowing yourself the memories and the thinking about it and the reflecting about it and feeling proud of what you've done. That could be part of it too. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on that part. I do agree that it's selective. I don't think I would want to go see everybody I worked with, but I still keep connection with two people that I really like and have lunch with them and hear about what's going on. Still, I'm interested. I helped to start the program, so I have an interest in it. But I am aware that I did not do the grieving that I probably should have at that point in time, and I'm probably doing more of it now. And I do think that the memories are so helpful that if you can allow yourself to remember what you did that was so meaningful in that position or job that you had, it really will help you to move forward in some way. But allow the memories to come. Take out those photos that you may have had from your retirement party and look at them and remember what people said about you and um, how much you contributed to their organization. And I'm sure many people listening have done that, have contributed in meaningful ways, but now are moving into some other phase and they don't allow themselves time to maintain those bonds. So I think that's absolutely on target. Yeah, I think the allowing time is such an important part. Mm. And and can you speak a little to my sense is that the more people can be developing other parts of their identities, along the way in life, through the lifespan, as you say, so that we don't, at the time that we retire, feel that who we are is just what we do in terms of the work and that it's harder for people if they haven't taken time to develop other roles and relationships or hobbies or interests. Can you speak a little to that? I 
only to say that that's just so right that those who have had time to join a singing group or even while they were working full-time, if that's their passion, or to join a writing group or to do whatever, work for, volunteer for something, seem to me to do better because, and I think in a way, that's interesting because I think women probably are more prepared in some ways because they have had a less continuous work career. Not everyone, but a lot of women in my generation have not worked the whole time through their, they raised children and then they took on a job. But during the time that they were home with children, these women were making connections with other people. They were finding other things that they liked to do. And I don't think men in my generation did the same thing. It was more of a continuous work model for men. So I think it is so critical to begin to look at what else do I like to do? What are some of my passions before we stop that work? And one of the things I did was join a singing group and to start working with some groups of fibromyalgia patients in the community. I wanted to test out the waters before I actually retired to see if I could do something else. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely one of the key parts of the whole yeah. puzzle. No, I totally agree. And I think that there are some gender differences in relation to that. I've had more men say to me that they're, they are more frightened of retiring because so much of life has been work and so much of their identity has been work. And I know it's a stereotype, as you were saying, too, but I think it is it can be more complicated for men because it's through the activities of work that often men have connected. And I find it wonderful when I there's a coffee place near where I, in my downtown office and I see this group of men that are there the same time every week and I asked them one time and they actually meet every day and and that's just so important to do that but not everybody reaches out in that way and it takes one person often to be the organizer of it and women are just more yeah. used to doing that I think it's true they are and women can be models for their spouses while yep. they go through this I know that's yep. true I've seen it happen in my friends lives mm-hmm. and be helpful so I do think it's a little more complicated for men. And I think it's more complicated for women now who've really had careers all their lives and are retiring. Mm-hmm. And there are many of those too. So, yeah, yep. important piece to look at. Right. Now I have a couple of other questions. And again, I want to encourage people to submit your questions and be part of the drawing for the book, but also to submit your questions. This question, I actually don't know who it's from. It just says incoming, but she says I'm six, or he says, I'm not sure. I'm 64. I have only two brothers in their late 60s, both with serious health issues, and my mother, who's 88. I have no other family except my husband. I'm in constant fear of the inevitability of losing my family. How do I cope with knowing that? Wow. (laughs) So just to reframe, she's 64, and she has two brothers that are very ill. In their and late 60s with serious health issues, and her mother's 88. And her mother's and 88. She, does she doesn't have, a have anyone but her. Yeah. And I assume he's around her age or older. Yeah, um, I don't know that, but let's assume that, yeah. So she is having trouble. I guess she's doing what I call early grieving. Mm-hmm. She's in that phase of grieving before you lose someone. And she's overwhelmed by it, it sounds to me, by thinking about, all these people in her life, they I don't know if they're 
if they have the kind of diseases that are life-threatening or, or not, but at some point she's going to lose these people. And I guess I would just say in some way she needs to build some networks with some new – if she doesn't have old friends that she can rely on, she may be in a community where she's moved away from her old friends, which often happens. People leave behind old friends. And I think the, for me and for others I've talked to, if you can just do something you really enjoy, find a group of people that are doing something you like, whether it's joining a book club or whatever club you can think of around, and there are many things. Many people are using Meetup on the Internet who don't feel comfortable necessarily connecting in person, and they construct a Meetup for a group of singers, and they get people together. So I don't know if that's helpful, but that's about all I can think of. We know that connections with others help us maintain our health and our lives. So people live longer who have many connections. So it's important to have those. And she can't just rely on her husband. I'm sure he's a wonderful person, but it's not enough. I I always say even in the best relationships, you can't just rely on one person. And we all need to build in the safety nets. And the lifelong learning programs are a wonderful way of making connections with people where you either can teach or learn. And there's some that are sponsored by the OSHA lifelong learning and others that are separate from that. I know I've been taking and got my husband involved and another couple. I take a film course at the, uh, I'm in the Boston area, so it's at Tufts uh, lifelong learning. And it's it's really lovely, and when you become a member of any of these things, even you don't even have to take a class. You just become a member, and you can go to a lunch and learn. So it's a way of beginning to meet new people, and then if you take classes, you're meeting other people with similar interests. So it, it's like doing just what you're saying of building in safety nets, but also recognize and I think your point is so important that sometimes we do and that anticipatory grieving and it's just important to both do that but stay present and also figure out what for you is going to just keep your life feeling full and vibrant. Again, it's that oscillation. It's being able to and people can look at their lives and see where they're stuck. Am I stuck in that place where I'm doing too much anticipatory grieving? Thank you. That's the term I was looking for. And not making any moves outside. And I can understand if someone's mired in caregiving, it's very hard. But I think the caregivers have to find some connections, mm-hmm. even if they go to a caregiver support group, which there are many that are being set up. But your idea of OSHER, taking a mm-hmm. class, is excellent. You will meet people that are similar and maybe have lunch with that person. It happens in Philadelphia all the time. So that's a great resource for all of us. And even thinking about meeting younger people. I really am into this whole Mm -hmm. multi-generational. There's so much to learn from younger people. So just trying to think about where and how you can connect with people of all ages. So I have a couple more questions here. So let's see, and just I want to encourage people to ask more. So Kathy says, I love the idea of restoring your experience. What are some of the steps you recommend taking to do that? That's interesting. I'm trying to think about the book I wrote, Lost of a Life Partner, because so many of those people who I interviewed told me that the story they told me about their loved one was different this time because I was listening versus 
their mother or their brother or whoever else had listened to them, or maybe nobody had listened to them, than what they really saw before. So speaking about it to others is restoring. It's a very simple kind of concept, but it's so meaningful. You you ha- you need to find someone who will witness you, as I call it, someone mm-hmm. who will listen to you without jumping in and giving you an answer. It's so easy when people are going through this for someone to say, oh, you should do this or that, but you really need to listen. That is just, it's such a key part of it, mm-hmm. to be listened to. So what I would say to Kathy is in the restoring really involves finding someone that will listen to you and then possibly writing about it. Some of the people that I interviewed let me know later on that they were beginning to write about their experience. And actually, they were writing, I was writing about them and their partner, and they were able to feel like their partner, deceased partner, was there was some meaning now in that person's life because they were going to be in a book. And I hadn't even thought about that part of it. So I don't know if that's helpful to Kathy, but yeah. I think it's such an important thing to be doing. And I think just taking it to the retirement part of just thinking about doing that writing or that finding someone to talk to to bear witness to what your experience and experience and the writing of your work or the writing of what it meant to you, the why it was important to you similar to the importance of a love partner, really is both helpful for you and it can be part of your legacy, too, of being able to talk about and be kind of a role model for others of the importance of work or what was it that, that, that really got you up in the morning and what it provided for you. I think it can be both cathartic and but also part of your legacy, so maybe think about it that way. It is cathartic, and as I said before, it's when you do something like that, you're helping others, and you're leaving behind a legacy that others right. can read and look yep. at. So I have a, a question from Carol from Boston. She says, when losses are sudden, like an unexpected death of an adult child, a job, a career, I lost my husband at 42 and grieved deeply and found meaning in my work, etc. I lost my job suddenly and it was very hard, but in time I found joy and meaning, especially creating my own job. I found new passions, etc. I recently lost my son suddenly and now going through his death and memories. However, sudden deaths are different. Can you talk about unexpected losses? Yeah, there's been some research looking at that to see what that versus going through an illness and then having someone die. And I think the sudden death is more of a trauma because you have no preparation for it. So there can be what I call and what everyone calls PTSD around it because it was so sudden and you didn't have a chance to even do any anticipatory anticipatory mourning and what the literature talks about with anticipatory mourning I'm just remembering is that six months of that is okay but when you have to do it for longer than that anticipatory it's not as if it doesn't it's not helpful so families that have to go through that over and over again really go through complicated mourning so the anticipatory grieving has some positives but I think myself that having had one sudden death in my life of my dad 
at 16. I buried that for years. I couldn't deal with it at all and finally did. But when I lost my husband, it was a, over a period of five years of worrying that he might die. And I'm not saying when he died it was awful, but it, it was. But I had some warning, some anticipatory way to expect it, and I didn't bury it. Now, I was older, too. That was the other thing. But still, I think that the traumatic deaths are the ones people often try to bury because they're mm -hmm. so painful. Good point. And I think, I mean, you mentioned earlier about Cheryl Sandberg, and I think her book just came out, actually. I think I was reading that. Yes. Yeah, I hadn't it, gotten it, it yet. It came out helping children deal with it, I think, is what she was talking about. But mm -hmm. that was very much a sudden loss, so it just brought that to my mind. And let's see, Kendall from Arlington says, how would this conversation be different if the audience were less well-educated, poorer, or were recent immigrants? And then he also says, thanks for this good presentation, but what is your sense of how the conversation would be different if it was less educated, affluent, and more immigrants, poorer people? Yeah, Have a sense of that? Or would it? I don't know. I think there's some things that reach across cultures, but there are others that don't. And I think in some cultures, people, there's one, and I can't think of it, where they have a crying time, and they are, after a death, they all cry together. In other words, the person who's lost someone sits and cries with a crier that comes to the house. Other cultures tend to, the Irish are known to keep it all in and not do anything with it. That I can speak to more than the issue of the lower economic strata. But I can't imagine that they wouldn't have some of the same feelings about loss. When I interviewed the gay men and the lesbian women, their losses the feelings they had were the same as mine, but their experience in being responded to was different by the culture. So because we, I think, don't honor that in the same way, particularly domestic partners. We don't think about that a lot, but they get lost. But the lesbian women wrote to me and said, thank you so much for including us because no one ever writes about us. But I found very clearly that grief is grief. It doesn't really matter. But I think culturally, there may be some differences to that. So if someone was calling in about it from another culture, it might be different. I might not be able to, I just know that there are very different ways of dealing with it. It's interesting with that question. It makes me think over, I've been doing clinical work for over 40 years now and at different phases of my life have worked with different populations and, and grief is grief, as you said. And I think the wanting to be heard, the needing to process it and learning, I can think of some people from different cultures and helping them be able to talk about what is the way in their culture, what is it that they need. That, Let that them teach you about what exactly. they need. Yeah, exactly. if you don't yeah. if you don't know, yeah. But I think grief is grief. I really do, and I think there's no question that there are different resources available to people better educated or better insurance or whatever. But I think the law we see it every day in the paper of murders or deaths or it's just dreadful. And I guess the reason with sudden deaths and I mean it just just there's just an awful lot. But it's more the similarities, I think, that we have because with, as you said at the beginning, Bowlby and attachment and mm -hmm. attachment and connections are just a foundation of life and loss is profound. It, but it's from the pain, I guess, that we keep growing. Not that one wants Absolutely. to say, oh, great, bring on the pain, but, <laughs> no. but we do grow from it. We do. Yeah. Yes, I think 
if we allow ourselves to. I don't know yeah. that everyone does, if you really allow yourself. So I have another comment question from Lois in Baltimore, and she said she'd like to mention the usefulness as one moves into transitions, the opportunities that continuing care residences offer in assisting people with these transitions. In these surroundings, one often can find excitement, support, new meetings in a safe environment, and she just said, great subject, thanks for talking about it. And I happen to know Lois and know that she has moved. She's been in assisted living programs and it just, it's like a new, it can be for people, particularly when they're alone, of being a new lease on life with new friendships, new connections, new opportunities, and knowing you feel safe. So the safety net's built in. Absolutely. That's what they provide in many ways. Um and hopefully there will be, because I think your point about connections with younger people is really important. So my hope is that the continuing care residences do provide some way to keep people connected to young people, because I think it really does bring, for a lot of us, our grandchildren and our adult children bring us that to some extent, a large extent for me. But I do miss my classes where I had people in their 30s and I heard their ideas. So I, I'm not sure when she made the comment about youthfulness, I wasn't quite sure what she meant about that connected to the continuing care. Did you understand that? It doesn't or? say youthful, just excitement, support, new meanings in a safe environment. Oh, okay. She didn't say, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. And I do think it provides that. The new connections are there, and they have all kinds of things going on in groups, small groups, so you don't have to create the group. It's there for you. It's your neighborhood. It's where you are. It's your community. Mm -hmm. And again, just remember all the research on how important connections are to health and to longevity. And we have time in this time of our lives to make connections, new ones. The old friendships sometimes don't help us at this point. Not that we shouldn't give up all our old friends, but sometimes it is important to examine who's in my network that I really feel good about being with now. It's very painful for me to have to say goodbye to a relationship, and I think it is for other people, but sometimes it's better to not be putting energy out into something that doesn't really bring you something back. So making those new connections is really important, I feel, at this stage. And for couples, too, for mm -hmm. couples to make new connections and for you on your own to find ways. And you, there's so many things now in our culture that allow people to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's a good thing. And there is yet another question that came in that I want to ask. So Diane from North Carolina says, would you consider later in life divorce, grief, disenfranchised, would you consider later in life divorce, grief, disenfranchised grief? And then she also says wonderful topic today. But so how would you consider or would you consider later in life divorce, grief, disenfranchised grief? Okay. I guess Diane is feeling it, or she wouldn't be asking that question, probably. Mm -hmm. And I guess the thing I would say is that it's expected, so people don't mm -hmm. honor it. And I think it's the same thing with losing an adult parent, because we know we're going to lose adult parents. So it's disenfranchised in the same way that a divorce in later life. Number one, divorce doesn't get honored in the same way. That death does. My friends that have been divorced didn't get the kind of support I got as a widow. So it's a double whammy in a way because you're older 
and that's expected that this will happen. So it's not really seen as, it's seen as too normal, and so it doesn't really get the support in addition to the divorce piece. And hopefully Diane could find a group of women who've been divorced later in life. I'm trying to think where you would go for that, Diane, because I found for me the support group I was in when I went through my loss was incredible. For a year, they were my soulmates. They were who I could deal with. I could not really do much else, and it was so helpful. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think where you might, whether there'd be a social service agency that might have it or community center. You might Google it to see what's, there may be a, a group near you that's going on. But to me, that would be the way to reach out. And again, I do believe that is disenfranchised just because we think we accept it as normal that it happens. And so we don't really expect people to grieve that much. Why should you be grieving? You're, you're older, it happens, and divorce just isn't seen in the same way. I don't think, anyway. I don't know if you all agree with that. but Someone just, I don't have the name of who submitted this, but said there's a book out on the subject, and she's going to, or he or she's going to let me know oh, the title. So oh, good, then I can read it too. Meeting, <laughs> but I'll let you know, and maybe I can Great. send it to Diane also. Let me just write down. Well, that would Diane, be wonderful. Uh, yeah, I didn't mention books. Uh, books are great. Yeah. Yeah, but, um, and I but think they're not we, all of it. <laughs> yeah, no, not all. And, oh, Lois is the one who says there's a book about disenfranchised grief, and she's going to get me the title, so that's great. Thank you, Lois. Oh, yeah, there uh, are books out about good. that. Yeah. So back, part of what I'm, part of what I just love about what you've been talking about, Carolyn, is, I mean, it really is looking at loss of grief really across the lifestyle and just thinking about how it manifests itself around this stage of life with kind of retirement of letting go of work or maybe how we worked. And you've offered so many lovely things about the notion of the of maybe phasing it or trying other things out while you're still working and the oscillation, really normalizing it. I just wonder if for the last few minutes, if there are just any other thoughts, takeaways you'd like people to have about just bringing it back to the pre-retirement and retirement notion? I think, and it came out in our talk today, that mm -hmm. retirement may be a bit disenfranchised in mm -hmm. terms of the loss. So we need to honor that in ourselves, that we are experiencing grief when we are going through this letting go. Grieving is very hard. It's hard work. And I think we tend to not want to do that kind of work because it's painful. So I do want people to come away with that. But I also want people to come away from the fact that loss can lead to incredible change. My life changed incredibly out of the loss I went through. I remember I was in therapy and my therapist said, do you think your husband would recognize you now the way you are living? And I was like, oh, what do you mean? And she said, you're a different person. And I liked that person. When I did the interviews with breast cancer patients, I was shocked that they said to me, I wouldn't ask for this again, but I can tell you I'm glad about who I am now. I just mm. love the person I am. I take better care of myself. I lead my life differently. So I really do believe that the retirement piece can be the same. But it's a way to grow and change in wonderful ways. It's just right there. So I guess that would be my takeaway. Mm -hmm. The grieving and the transforming are just what I see as the main 
peace, allowing for both at the same time mm-hmm. without thinking you're going crazy. As I said, and many people have told me when they've seen the model of the dual process of dipping into the grief and clients particularly and then moving out, oh, my gosh, thank you. I draw a picture of it. And they'll say, thank you so much. It makes me realize I'm okay. Oh, and that's right. so much a part of it. It's like yeah. knowing that it's all right. So I guess I would leave. You were so interested in that concept last week, and I think yeah. I did a lot of thinking about it, and I agree with you. That's a very important piece that doesn't really mm-hmm. get out there because mm-hmm. somehow the grief literature stays within the grief literature and doesn't right. move. And uh, I'd like to actually help with that in some way. We, maybe we know what your next book will be. I think I do. Or, or yeah. no, it may not be a book. I don't know. Yeah. Books are oh, no, don't right. hard. Uh, right. That's fair. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm thinking about that, which will get me writing, which is a good thing. So, yeah. The thing I wanted to share is the passion piece. Finding some, whatever, if you lose yourself in something, and I see myself when I'm singing, I went back to it the other day, I hadn't been singing for a while, I totally lost touch with everything. I was so in the moment singing, and I think that's so important to bring into our lives. Something you can begin to think about, where is it that I lose myself and don't think about anything else? I'm just so into it. To me, that's the richness of this phase, perhaps having time to really notice that. You know, I don't know that I noticed it before. That ties in with that sense that for so long we're trying to achieve and do, and Mm -hmm. this is a stage of life where we can be, which doesn't mean not doing in some way or giving back or being connected, but it's like that breath of, wow, I can really evolve and develop into another person still with the core of who you are. Just as you said, your therapist said to you that just the incredible changes that can happen at this exciting time, if we choose to embrace it and learn, grow, evolve, and not be afraid of the reflecting and the sadness and the letting go and the grief and all of those things too, but to hold that ambiguity. And oscillate, as you say. I love that word, oscillate. (laughs) Yeah, it really is a lovely word. And even in the being and the doing, you're oscillating. Yeah. As you said that, I thought, wow, you're being and you're doing. And it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Carolyn, thank you so much. This has just been a very lovely and rich conversation. And I look forward to more conversations. So thank you. Uh, Yes. And thank you for for giving this opportunity, Dory. I really enjoyed it. Great. Thank and you. People's questions were interesting, and I just I miss seeing people because I'm used to teaching. I'm yeah, using my hands, right. by the way, while I talk, which is yeah, what I, like. I do that too. So yeah, you so again. Great. Absolutely. Great. Bye now. Bye Take everybody. Care. You've been listening to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio with Dr. Dorian Mincer. To learn more about the resources mentioned on today's show, listen to past episodes, or download our free retirement transition guide, visit revolutionizeyourretirementradio.com.